Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Just Two Dads with my co-host and my partner in Thrive, Mr. Sean Francis. I am Brian Altunian. And today on our episode, Sean and I are going to have a discussion about what it means to be a parent of a special needs child. And that means uh, a little bit of everything, right? Parenting in uh, in our post-COVID world, uh, parenting in, in the 2022, parenting in this global world that we live in. So uh, it's going to be a great conversation and hope that uh, hope you stay with us. Another episode of... Welcome back, everybody. I'm Brian Altunian, along with Sean Francis, and we are catching us. Hopefully, you're catching us live on Facebook. Uh, hello, everybody. If you're catching us live on Facebook and you want to share some comments, please do so. Give us uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know if we're hitting the right, <laughs> pushing the right buttons, hitting the right spots. Um, if you're not catching us live on um, on Facebook Live or on any of our other platforms. You know, maybe you're catching us on our YouTube channel after the fact on We Are Just Two Dads. That's our YouTube channel. So subscribe and leave your comments there, too. We read all those comments. Our guests like to read those comments as well. So share that with you. Share them with your friends. If we hit on a subject matter that's poignant or uh, strikes a nerve or has you get engaged, please do so. We love to have the engagement. We love the participation. This is just two dads having a conversation, but we know that we're having a conversation that hits a lot of folks. Um, and so hopefully... If it's a, a, something that inspires you to to participate, we highly encourage it. If you're catching us on our podcast outlets or on WSTX AM radio down in the U.S. Virgin Islands, welcome to our listeners. We love you uh, as well. And again, hope that you'll come back to our either our Facebook uh, posting or our YouTube channel and engage with us. Um, it is a, it is an exciting day where you know a lot of stuff happening in the world that's impacting all of our daily lives, and I cannot wait to. Uh, jump into this conversation with Sean. Um, just the two of us, no guests today, but uh, but uh, we're, it's going to be it's going to be lively. So, uh, Sean, are you ready for the? Are you ready for the? What do they say? The, the I don't know. I was thinking crudite, but that's an appetizer. I know what that means. You ready for the <laughs> the main event? For the main event? Yeah, uh, I'm you know glad to be here and thankful for the opportunity and um, you know this platform that we have. Uh, it, it's funny, uh, you know, when we have these uh, discussions, many times the topic will find us. And I think that I think one of the challenges in choosing something like, you know, what does it mean to be a parent or caregiver to one with special needs? If someone's not careful and they see this, it, they could it could easily be kind of glossed over, uh, whether you're a member of the special needs community or 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 not. Um, maybe especially if you are a member of the community, because you're like, what do you mean? What does it mean to be that? I I, I know what that is. Uh, and I think that's the biggest challenge is making sure that we um, touch people with the episode. But I think that it's uh, it's it's timely because when you're in anything, you know, Einstein has been known to say that uh, you, a problem cannot be solved to the same level of consciousness at which it occurs. So if you're in the middle of the storm, so to speak, it's hard to have an objective view and step outside. And we get used to so many things that we um, have adjusted to, depending on what our di our child or loved one's diagnosis might be, that it's so automatic that you forget some of what you've gone through, some of what you've come through. And so we hope to get, have people arrive, including ourselves, arrive at new levels of appreciation for the things that we've been able to 
persevere and maybe the way that we will follow and um, and face certain challenges ahead. Then at the same time, um, you know, develop some kind of uh, empathy for somebody that's listening, especially if you happen to not be a member of the community, the special needs community, and don't know what that's like. And right now, it seems like, uh, you know, we don't have enough empathy in the world, generally speaking. As I like to always say in the words of, you know, I, I first heard this from Michael Jackson, which is, again, you know, we need to remain more childlike and less childish. We, you know, curiosity and uh, about others is the key to everything, trying to make sure that we know what it's like to step into other people's shoes. So what I figured we would do is just have a conversation many times as we do offline uh, and kind of review because it means that we're going to have to probably dig a little bit and think back to what some of these things were like. You and I talk often about, okay, what was it like when your child was diagnosed? So I figure what we could do is I'll ask you about it to kind of go back and then I will um, give my perspective. And so I figured we could touch on several things. And the first thing is obviously when you go back to the diagnosis, not necessarily the moment of what that was like, but the diagnosis has taken place. Life has now begun. And let's talk about what each of those were like. And we're going to look at several topics, how it affected us, you know, emotionally that affects our relationships and strengthens them or challenges them, uh, you know, depending on the situation. And then we're looking at the social impact. And then towards the end, because it's the profession that we are in, we'll look at how a diagnosis affects a family financially. And I'll be candid about some of that stuff is, you know, um, uh, with each topic as to how it affected uh, uh, my wife and our family and for you to do the same. So what would you say is sure. the first, we touch on the emotional part, the diagnosis has taken place. We each know that we've experienced being told of the diagnosis in a manner that's very cold and heartless, so to speak. But once we've gone, once we've gotten past that, for you, what was it like when you when you got past that and began to deal with life with you know with with your daughter Jordan's diagnosis? Well, um, yeah. First of all, it was you know quite a long time ago. Uh, it was like 1996 or so. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I, I mean, the obviously the initial the initial impact was was huge. I, I remember driving home like I can picture it because I remember exactly how I was, you know, driving home. Uh, we had a Honda Odyssey. I was on the 405 freeway in the San Fernando Valley. Like I remember exactly where we were we go. as my brain was processing. And I, I remember it. The feeling was. I, I felt I kind of felt sick, like I had been kicked in the gut, partially because I didn't expect there to be I didn't there expect there to be a diagnosis. I expected there to be, you know, maybe a challenge with Jordan's hearing or, you know, just just I, I, honestly, my mother is the one who said, you know, you should have Jordan checked out. And I was like, oh, it's a good, good chance for me to tell my mom to mind her own business. And then, of course, my mom was right. And um, she didn't know what she was specifically pinpointing, but she she had an inclination and, and, and she was right. And I kept thinking like, well, my, my, my view with it, my image of the world has changed and not because my mother was right about something, but more because, because I thought that I was more aware than I was. I mean, clearly mm -hmm. I was not aware of just of certain things and it changed my perspective on, on how I did things. Right. I, I remember thinking, so after the fact, right. I remember thinking, what was I paying attention to? This is my first child. If I wasn't paying attention to her development, what was I paying attention to? Was I paying right. attention? You know, and so that made me question a bunch of 
you know, a bunch of, a bunch of things. And, you know, what do we do now? That's the other thing. What do we do next? What's, what's, what does, what does this diagnosis mean? And honestly, when people asked me in the first several years, what was she diagnosed with? I was like, I don't even know what she was diagnosed with. I don't know. You know, her, I remember the first terminology that stuck out in my head was microcephaly. And so mm -hmm. if you just break that word down, microcephaly, micro meaning small, cephaly is having to do with the head. I mean, small head. What does that mean? So is Jordan's head smaller? What does that mean? Right. Um, but, but what it means too is it, it means that there's, a, that there's a delay in development because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some people think that the skull constricts the size of the brain. Actually, the brain dictates the size of the skull. So as the brain is growing and developing, it's actually pushing the brain and pushing the size of the head out. And so if somebody has, by the way, folks, it doesn't mean if you have a smaller head, it means there's anything wrong or there's anything, you know, it's just, it's just how your brain and body develop together. And it was really kind of an umbrella diagnosis, microcephaly. I might not even know what it means. And so mm -hmm. it just meant that, you know, delay in a, a learning disability, learning delays, um, developmental delays. And that just seems so, I, the other thing I felt, I felt like, it just, it was just like saying, you've got a cold, like, well, is it the flu? Is it, you know, is it the measles? Is it the mumps? Like, well, you're sick. What does that mean? It's such a, it's an umbrella term. Like, what is it? What the hell does that mean? Microcephaly, right. developmental delays. And so when I asked her the question at the, at the moment, the neurologist, she says, well, you know, they gave us, this is the thing that you're talking about. They gave it, the, the real question that parents want to know about their children is how, what's going to happen to my child? going forward. And we think forward. about it as it relates to other children that we know on a going forward basis. <clears throat> so for me, it was, she just said that, said it flat out. She won't drive. She won't have a job. She won't be able to finish school. She won't go to college. She won't live on her own. She'll need assisted living her whole life. Well, that alters our, altered our, the picture of what we had for, for our child and for our lives. What does that mean for us? How does that have, how does that change you know, for us and our perspective of what overall what family means. Um, right. So it created a whole bunch more questions than it gave us answers, even though we had a we had an answer. And we went online back in those days, you know, in the early 90s before the Internet was pre Google. Um, you know, we had to search and figure out what does microcephaly development delays, what does it all mean? And, you know, we were fortunate to find out a, a support group, an international support group online, a message board. Mm -hmm. that gave us some answers and gave us some hope for some direction. Um, and that was through a lot of, a lot of learning and a lot of, you know, dot deep dive and gave, you know, but initially just to answer your question, it was a lot of, what does this mean now going forward? And how does it impact us? I know we've got m more pieces to unpack there, but that's just, I wanted to answer yeah. that, that question. And, Cause I'm sure you had a very similar kind of experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was probably because my wife had, um, uh, two daughters from her previous marriage. In addition to the fact that, uh, you know, well, girls mature faster than boys. So at least that, this is just my theory as to why she thought, um, something was not quite right with Elijah and could tell certain milestones, you know, were delayed because I had younger cousins and stuff like that, that I'd been around, you know, as, you know, as babies and cared for them and changed diapers and stuff like that. But 
it was also at an age where I wasn't necessarily paying attention to the milestone. And then everybody was neurotypical. So they walk when they're supposed to walk. They talk when they're supposed to talk, just all that kind of stuff. Right. So for, for me, being a first time dad, I thought that everything he did was not only cute, but it's it's all right on time. And, right. and I hate to say this because this is like some big sense of vanity or whatever, but he was he wasn't always has been since he took his first breath, just a beautiful child. So yeah. You're like, like even when people would say, oh my gosh, she looks just like you. I'm kind of like, really? I don't think I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not bad looking, but I don't think I ever looked that good in my life. So thank you. Yeah. So, and then as a guy, so I think it begins to fall right into the whole thing of, you know what? I'm going to introduce him to my favorite sport, my favorite team, my favorite yeah. artist, my favorite yeah. songs. He's going to like all of that because he's, and that's where your vanity comes in. So I didn't, and he's, it's funny. He's mini we, me. Right. And it's funny he's we're re-examining this because I think that comes about twice as much for a man who has a son. And so I just thought that everything he did was cute. And it was like, what do you mean he doesn't look you in the eye? I kind of like, I don't, I don't, I don't even I, I don't see that. You yeah. know? So we go to the doctor, and it's funny because as acute as I am, generally speaking, you know, because I pick up on things where people are like, who would ever notice that? Why do you notice that? I don't, I still don't recall. It's not like I even go back and think and go, you know what? I do remember he didn't do this or he didn't do that. None of it until it was like brought to my attention in the form of, you know, a Manhattan phone book, bam, hit upside the head and you're still not quite seeing it. So he went to the doctor, you know, the doctor says some of the things that he's exhibiting are symptoms of autism, but some of those things that he's exhibiting that are symptoms of autism are also normal reactions of a healthy child they're like so what does that mean is this a game show called how many ways can we complicate people's lives way number 20 number 22 so what do we do and he says well you get them into early intervention because they don't diagnose before the age of three now since that time i've heard that diagnosis will take place at an earlier age so he got into earlier intervention and I don't remember the gap between early intervention and the diagnosis. I just know that there was a period where we're going to be testing him and doing these different things for a certain amount of time. I got very familiar with the campus of UCLA. We did. Yep. And that's, that's why I was thankful for the work that we do in financial services because I was, quote, unquote, my own my own boss. But to be truthful, and we'll touch on the financial piece a little later on, but I was not making a dime either. I just had the time to take him where he needed to go. And um, uh, my wife, Laura, actually took a leave of absence so we could get him where he needed to go, um, you know, for appointments and everything. So we saw a neurologist, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and there was one instance where, you know, we were pretty certain that he had a seizure. I happened to not be home at the time. So, you know, those things take place, but we're kind of jumping around. But anyway, after we got to the point where the diagnosis was given, like I said, it was done in a cold manner. You know, we got to the point where we have this period of time where they think they're going to be able to tell us kind of what's going on. And when that time comes, I'm like, well, okay, we haven't heard anything. So I'm calling the doctor's office and Laura's at work that day. And I'm, yes, my name is Sean Francis. I'm calling regarding my son, Elijah, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yes. Just hold on just a minute. Yeah. Yeah, he has it. He has autism. <laughs> it's crazy. And I'm like. And I didn't even have the presence of mind to just like, how dare you say that so coldly? I, It's like I wasn't sure what to feel or whatever. So when we – 
And this is where we, you know, when we get into looking at how it strengthens and or challenges or ends, you know, marriages, you know, ours happened to right away what we, it, it strengthened us initially. It didn't challenge us right away at first. Um, and by that, I mean that we came together and Laura's like a cop by nature in that, what is it that we're going to do? All right, I'm going to go find out what it takes to get it done and she'll either do it or she, if it's something that she doesn't need my buy-in on it and we just know it's in our best interest, she'll just do it. If it's something that we know we're going to talk about, she'll come back and lay it all out. So she laid it all out in terms of here's our early intervention work. So I got into a, um, there was a mommy and me class. I was the only dad in that class and that didn't even have anything to do with autism. So there was that and the therapies that he was going through. And emotionally, I think the biggest thing I was coming away with was like, what does this mean? And I took on a certain amount of blame because as I've told you before, you know, coming from the Virgin Islands, in the Caribbean, education is huge. Everybody is at least getting their four-year degree, bare minimum, if not becoming a doctor, attorney, or judge. And I've got all those in my family. Yeah. And for me, you know, I did about five minutes of college, you know, yeah. um, something like that. And part of the reason was because sitting and doing things academically, at least growing up, was always a challenge. And what happened is I bought into the notion that something might be wrong with me because I was never mentally in a classroom. My attention just could not be held. Right. But as much testing and tutoring and everything that I had gone through, I was never diagnosed with anything. And I started mm -hmm. to wonder, well, was there a diagnosis that's missed in terms of a learning disability? And then as a result, is this passed on to him is autism even hereditary in any way shape or form i didn't know anything about that yeah. these are all the questions that i had and you know emotionally those are the things that you know that, that took place and when he was really small we just knew that the therapies and things were important but i didn't really see things missing until we saw that his speech was delayed because when i say that I didn't do well academically. I baffled people because, you know, they thought I was, I should have been on TV or whatever. Because in conversation, you know, I've always had trouble with my mouth being able to keep up with the thoughts that are in my brain. And I'd say things that might be, you know, beyond my years or funny or whatever have you, you know, all the time. So people are like, well, okay, he's smart, but the grades don't necessarily. And so I expected him to be able to do that. So when he was delayed in his speech and he began speech therapy for me, see, this kind of speaks to like love languages. We, we, you know, you can have two people that love each other. One person's love language is acts of affection. Another person's sure. acts of service. And you're both saying the same thing with speaking different languages that spoke to me in terms of a delay. And so I was like, that's when I think it really hit me a little more that he wasn't quite where he was supposed to be. And you're thinking, well, what does this mean, you know, for the future? And for us, we weren't really challenged as a couple as much there because I had more freedom in the time. So I took him to those appointments and things like that. It was just kind of that way from, you know, um, day one. It's almost, we've had a pretty good partnership in that when it comes to the battlefield of, autism in this case i'm the athlete laura's the coach where she's like okay you know we call a timeout you put a game plan together we agree on the game plan 
I'm going to go out there on the field and execute. And every now and then she happens to be a player coach, so she can come out there in the field as well. Um, you know, yeah, but so, let's, but let's, yeah, but let's, so, so let's just talking about that a little bit. I mean, I think that all parents feel, all, all parents feel this, this, this pressure, I think to compare their children to the, you know, to other children at the same mm-hmm. age, to the children of their, of their family members, to their own childhood, to other peers, um, I remember thinking, I remember when hearing like the whole thing that got my mom started with Jordan was like, oh, she's not talking. She's just kind of babbling. And at this age, she be actually, she should be actually saying words. And then my, you know, somebody else in my family said, well, you know, your brother, David, my older brother, David is brilliant. Like he's, he's in a, in a he's in a like vice provost at a university, um, you know, was a, an, a uh, he was a professor at a, at another university in Austin, Texas. He's now living in Newport, Rhode Island, just a brilliant brilliant guy. He didn't talk for four years. Like he didn't talk at all. And I had so somebody tell me that too about a family yeah. member. So, and so, you know, your uncle didn't speak to him. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, well, so is there an issue or is there not an issue? Right. And then and they start looking at, well, you know, did he, you know, I started, I started watching how she interacted with girls, you know, children her age. And, you know, some people are just, I remember, I remember, again, specifically remember a bunch of girls lining up, uh, you know, against a garage and they were like having a little race down the driveway. It was safe. I promise you we were all there. But uh, (laughs) it's as as dangerous as that sounds. And I remember thinking like somebody said, "Okay, one, two, three, go. And all the girls took off running except for Jordan, who was like a little bit later. And then she and then she she a little delayed and then she ran. And I thought, all right, maybe she didn't hear it or maybe that's. By the way, I know that I like this is one of the after effects, I think, of all this is I started thinking about how I process information. Mm-hmm. And it's been a part of my thinking for the last uh, Jordan's now 26 for the last 25 years or so. How do I process information? I'm, you know, to, to your point, you spend five minutes in college. I have a graduate degree. My my Jordan's mom had a, has a graduate degree like we were well, well educated and we you know, we process information differently. I know that sometimes something will say, you know, something will occur and it takes me a while to process. Sometimes that, by the way, in a relationship, that is not a great thing. But, uh, you know, because <laughs> my partner would say something and I'd be like, not really responding right away. So I thought, well, that's just that's just how I process information. So I never really saw it. But, but I think that, that we start comparing our children to the developmental stages that other peers Always their children do it. And, and, and then that's a struggle because even if you have, right. Cause then we start making it mean something about us. Oh, your daughter started walking at six months. Wow. That's really advanced. Well, does that mean the child is, is, you know, is, is the next Stephen Hawking or is it, is, you know, what does that, what does that mean exactly? Hey Matt, that failure's saying hello on our chat. Hey buddy. Um, You know, so I think that that's, that's one of the things I mean, and again, I'm talking about early, early on, I'm not talking about, you know, a child that has medically complex issues. Matt, Matt's, Matt's daughter has a, you know, a medically com- complex issue and epilepsy and a number of other of other things. So that's a little bit different than, than what we're talking about. We're talking about like initial diagnosis where our child just seems a little bit off from where, you know, where we expect it to be. I, I, I'm just, again, I think for all parents feel that way. And it's the worst kind of peer pressure, I think, that we can experience is our, our children. Because we make it mean something about us. Oh, our yeah, child's brilliant. It, well, of course, our child's brilliant. And when, when Elijah was, was really small, those years, that's where we kind of bonded, you know, he and I personally, because I'd take him to, you know, the, the mommy and me classes. He'd have therapy 
at home, which Laura and I both participated in. But then he would have therapy uh, five days a week in the mornings at a facility in the San Fernando Valley, you know, Woodland Hills, um, the, um, the Childhood Development Institute. But in between all of that and the running around and picking up, you know, his sisters from school, we made weekly peak uh, trips like to the park. And I haven't revisited this thought in such a long time. He, he loved it. One of the things that was kind of cool and a challenge is we'd go to the park and when it was time to leave, I would think that people were going to call the police because they thought I was kidnapping this kid because he would act like he didn't know me at that part. At that oh point, oh my gosh, he did not want to leave. He'd be like, ah, I don't. He'd want to stay there forever. Oh my be gosh, be on the swings or whatever. And it, it it was a challenge that I actually loved because it was nice to see him expressing his love or desire for something. But what would take place is they became, you know, there were parents and kids that we got used to seeing on a regular basis, and it was some time before I met any parent that had other kids with any kind of challenge. And so without the comparison even being said, and for me, it wasn't very obvious. I, I would look at other kids and I'd be like, my son is running his race, his pace, his life, his story. I'm not concerned about anybody else. And then every now and then somebody's kid would do or say something, especially if they came up to me and engaged in a conversation with me. And then when they walked away, that's when you'd be like, I wonder if he's really going to be able to do that. Mm, yeah. I wonder just, uh, I don't know. And that's the kind of thing that would just really take you. And it's not so much about, for me, it wasn't as much of a comparison about him. Oh, you should be able to do that because that kid's doing it. It's just, will you be able to do that? And that's when all the other questions come in and you're like, you know, yeah. will you experience friendship? Will you, will you know what love is? Will you, you know, will you, what, will what, what, what will that be like? You know? And at that point, I was still finding my way in financial services. And I think that's where it kind of led into like, well, how do you prepare for when you're not here for them to hopefully be strong in those different areas? So the emotional bleeds into the financial at that point too. Well, yeah, I'm, you, 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 you ran way, way far ahead from where I was. I was yes, I'm yeah. still in the mode of, we were trying to decide, do we have more children? Like, do we, does this mean that all of our children are going to be born with some sort of We uh, thought that issue? too. We thought that too. Yes. Right? And um and I know that uh you know Matt's po posting some stuff on our on our comments so I'll come back to I'll come back to Matt there in just in just a second but um you you know we weren't sure if we if if this was something that again was hereditary is it something is this something about us. And so we had to go mm -hmm. through all of those you know that internal conversation um, both internal and, and together, just, you know, the two of us and, um, and talk to experts. And I know we're talking about early intervention programs and, and luckily we did get Jordan into an early intervention program. We had some experts that we could talk to and they say, you know, it doesn't, one doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that, that you will. And then we, we did have another child and, you know, and Gabby is as, you know, opposite on many, on many, you know, on many scales as, as Jordan, um, you know, Gabby did go to college. She did graduate with, you know, with honor. She had no delays. She, you know, has multiple degrees and, you know, there's a, there's a, is a different, there's just a different, different kind of the way her brain process things. And then but Gabby's not perfect. Either. Her children are all not Let perfect. Me ask, they go through some stuff, but yes, go ahead. I, I, I just thought of something. And if it throws you way off, you know, you can let me know because all right. so our dynamic, you know, that we, you know, 
could have our last name be Walton Jackson Osmond because obviously we became very blended sure. as a family, even more so because we uh, became legal guardians too and then adopted my sister-in-law's uh, four kids. So seven kids total. So the idea of how it affects other children came about when Elijah was maybe a little, just a little older than would be the case. Um, did you guys experience after you're like, okay, we're going to have more kids and forge ahead. We're not worried about what might happen. And you have Gabby, you know, from what I understand, Gabby's never been resentful or anything like that, but did she ever have exhibit any, at least observation or acknowledgement that Jordan got different type of. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And by the way, there definitely was is resentment in there too. So it's a good question. Yeah. Gabby would be like, (laughs) <laughs> Gabby would be like, uh, I just came home with straight A's and you're celebrating that Jordan got a C in this class. Like, I don't know. How does that, what is that? How come, what is that? How come I'm, how old, how old was Gabby when she was saying that? Six. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. She was, she was a little bit older, but, but it has been, it has been there. Right. And the, and the issue is, here's the thing with, with, with our, with my kids, <laughs> by the way, I love, I love my children so much. My children are my life, honestly. You know, it's funny because we're going to get into conversation about relationships. I don't think we're going to have that. We're not going to have time to cover everything in this full hour. In a full hour, because people that know us, you guys, if you've been listening to us for a while or watching our, you know that we can talk forever about certain things. At some point, I think we've sort of lost it. Is this interesting or not? Because we just can talk to each other forever, and we do. And by the way, that's how this whole podcast came about. So we're just two dads just having a conversation about things. Let's go back to our kids. Anyways, I love my kids like to the to the to my to the very depths of my soul. Uh, yes. and and there's and there's and they're so funny. Jordan, um, because she had so so she had she had some you know early issues. And, and again, Matt, I appreciate your comments because you're absolutely right. You know, not that our, our children are you know are uh, are different. That everybody has a different level of ability, right? Everybody has different abilities. I totally agree. And when you have some support. And you've got support structure in place. You you can help your child achieve much more. The positive thing on on Jordan's side is, as many of you who have watched our our, our podcast before, you know, Jordan is twenty six years old. She's married. She lives you know in upstate New York with with her husband. You know near his family, um, near her mom. She has a job. She's she's an educator. She teaches in the you know in the school district. She drives a car. She all of the things that they said she would never do. She's done. So she's. She has, she's a, it's a great success story and she still has challenges and she still has, has issues. She, there's sensory issues. There's anxiety, you know, issues. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, feeling out of place for Jordan growing up. The challenge, some of the challenges were, you know, and, and again, if she were on today and I'm not sure if she's on, but if she were on today, she'd be in there typing away, you know, well, I had this problem and I had this issue. <laughs> Some yeah. of her issues were in peer relationships and not knowing how to fit in and not knowing because she wasn't, you know, really, you know, so severely impacted that that she felt that she, you know, should be in a special needs class. But she did have issues in a mainstream educational classroom. So she had some challenges there. And so we we're trying to find ways for her to fit in on a social setting. And so she kept getting into trouble, if you will, on a social basis. She would, you know have disagreements with girls. Girls, by the way, young girls in this country, I don't know what the deal is, but young girls in, in school, they're so mean to each other. There's so, there's such a, there's a thing about young girls in our education system. That well, that's, a, that's a whole nother topic, but I it's know, about what, what they're forced to consume um, when it comes to well, media and everything else. Right. So that's that's a, that's, yeah. This was yeah. all pre yeah. the social media craziness now, right? But I was going to ask you though, 
I was just gonna gonna ask you, you know, so especially for somebody that's listening that may have toddlers and a diagnosis is new uh, to both the family and the neurotypical sibling. When yeah. Gabby came forth and was like, hey, 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 I, I, I don't understand this. I've done this. There's this much recognition. Jordan's done this. There's that much recognition. How did you guys address that so that right. she understands so, that she's loved differently, but not more or less? So we were very vocal and and engaging in conversation with with Gabby and and, and Jordan. And, and now, by the way, let me just let me back up a step. So I want to answer that question, but but at the same time when we were dealing with with Jordan's issues, which which we were not prepared for, and and as we tried to get, we just didn't know what it was going to look like. Um, and then we had Gabby and. And then, and then my, my, my Jordan's mom, her, her father had a deteriorating medical condition. He had mm. uh, Parkinson's that, that had him go from, he was, he was the head baker at the cheesecake factory, as we all know, the cheesecake factory, he was the head of their bakery facility. And he went from that to being a catatonic, you know, I don't, I don't want to say vegetable is such a terrible description, but you know, somebody who didn't move, didn't respond, didn't, didn't connect with the world in less than four years. All of this, while we were dealing with the challenges of Jordan um, and Jordan's issues and then Gabby and, you know, a lower. So it had, we had a lot of pressure, a lot of strain on our relationship. And, and we, we got, we got divorced early. Um, or I say early on when Jordan was, I think Jordan was about three or four and Gabby was two um, we got divorced and, and we realized partially that we, we wanted to focus our efforts on the needs of our children. The needs of us in a relationship were already down, low down on the, on the priority list. And neither of us really wanted to live that way. And we just decided to, you know, to be better. We were better co-parents than we were as a married couple. Um, gotcha. and we put all of our efforts on, on the kids. And so as they were getting older, we were, so we were very upfront with them about, a divorce and what that would mean, how they would live in two houses, how that, you know, how that would go. And so we were very um, open in communicating with both of them things. And so when Jordan has had issues, you know, we, we explain, look, Jordan, you just learn differently. You, everybody learns differently. Everybody has different abilities. Even as, as Matt Failer says in our comments, everybody has different abilities. Yours just require a little bit extra time and effort and patience. And and for Gabby, I said, Gabby, you, you don't have those issues. You may you may have find that you're going to have other issues down the road, but you don't have those learning same learning issues that Jordan has in school. So so when it came time to hey, how come you're recognizing her for minimal achievement and you're not recognizing me? A part of it was that she was saying, hey, I'm here too. Not I blame Jordan. You know, for Jordan's issue. You know, because I don't have an issue, so you're not going to pay attention to me. It was really like, hey, just, you know, don't forget me kind of thing. Right, right, um, right. And, and that's you guys a little bit take, different, right? You guys, you guys should take credit for that, too, because for her to be able to distinguish the difference between, hey, don't forget about me, as opposed to, hey, 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 you know, as opposed to coming from a, a, a human, you know, natural standpoint or perspective as opposed to just being some brat or whatever make sure that in your hindsight you guys give yourself credit for that too because for her to be able to distinguish one versus the other that has for to sure. come from the example the example that you guys set well i will say this i i remarried i remarried and so she had she had us as parents and then she had a stepmom in the in the mix as well and her stepmom was very um where her, where where jordan and gabby's mom 
and says, be careful how we say certain things. I love her dearly. I do. I love her dearly. And, and there's some rigidity. <laughs> there's some rigidity there um, to how she dealt with deals of the world. And by the way, her, her own, her own personal situation, her own family situation all played a role in, in how she, in how she dealt with the world. Um, there was certain rigidity there. And then, and then my, my second wife, Laura, who was very, um, very open and open and communicative and, you know, easy to go to, easy to have conversations with. It made the conversations much easier. Having a triumvirate of parents just made the experience different. I want to say it made it better for the for the for the children because, you know, they had somebody to to bounce off who could relate to them on a level that that had meaning for them. Um, right. And so, I, well, I appreciate you giving credit. I mean, really, it goes to it goes to Laura as well for being able to, you know, to support both Gabby and Jordan. And and by the way, I was going to say this: Jordan was very difficult. <laughs> they went through very difficult years all through high school um, with her because the social aspect of school um, was important for her, more important than the learning piece of it. And that was a challenge. And so she was, and you know, kids in high school, hormones and everything else going yep. on is already, you're dealing with it now um, or about to deal with it, you know, in a big and you're scale. Right on, you're, you're, you're right on cue because we are, and I'm glad you turned to the social because we talked about the emotional piece now. Go ahead and yeah, let, let, let's I'll just finish. I'll, I'll, I'll just finish. Yeah. You know, where Gabby was, you know, Gabby, Gabby, Gabby was easy to flow. She had friends, you know, it was easy. Jordan had difficulty making and keeping friends. And the more she had difficulty making and keeping friends, because they didn't really understand her. They, they didn't really know how kids are not they're, they're They're so not evolved to to be tolerant, you know. And in fact, if anything, they're the most probably the most intolerant group early on when it came to differences between them and their peers still are. I think high school is, but that's why we had, you know, you'll have all these groups, all these clubs, all these, you know, people who hang out together in high school with a similar mindset. And then they always, mm -hmm. you know, somebody else is, is some other group is, is the fault. You know, the, what's the line from uh, Ferris Bueller, you know, the geeks, the nerds, the dweebs, the, you know, all of those. Yeah. As they yeah, like, like describe defining all these groups. And so for Jordan, it was always a challenge. And then what happened with between her and Gabby is that she would bring those challenges home and then, you know, kind of take it out on Gabby. And so, you know, they had a very challenging relationship early on. And 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 the thing of that Gabby learned, which I absolutely love, is 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 really empathy um, and and intolerance. And, and so Gabby has this massive heart that, like me, she she'll she'll cry on, <laughs> she'll cry on cue and she'll cry if I raise my voice. Like she, like she's very sensitive, but part of that sensitivity is because her, of her, of her empathetic state, knowing that, you know, Jordan has challenges and she's seen it come into their relationship. And, right. and from a social perspective, they live their own lives. They, I, I, they live physically live very close to each other. Um, I don't think they're still yet of that age where, that tight sisterhood component is is fully there yet, but partially because Gabby's now living in Israel, teaching English in Israel for the next you know for the next year or so, and so they're physically you know apart, but eventually they will because there's a love there, deep deep love and understanding, and they will end up being each other's greatest allies and support down the road. Mm -hmm. But it was not without not without challenges early on, and we had a we had an environment where we were trying to be as supportive of their differences in their individual abilities as it was we possibly could um so anyways i don't know if i answered 
your question, but socially, you know, again, challenges for Jordan. Um, and, you know, and I think any child who's in high school, here's the challenge the parents have when their kids are in high school. Your kids are trying to fit in and they're trying to fit in and they're going to be drawn to the group of folks who accept them. So right. if your child happens to be wearing all black one day and the goth group, you know, it pays attention to them and gives them something that they, that we as in, people all need, which is attention, acknowledgement, you know, recognition. Be seen and heard, as we say. Yes. And heard. They're, they're, they're going to drift into that. If it's, if it's, you know, the kids who were, you know, smoking out on the alleyway, cutting class, that's, they're going to be drawn to that because there's an acceptance, you know, sports, kids all kind of hang out together. Kids in cheer hang out together. The kids in dance hang out together. You know, the, the folks that are in drama all tend to hang out together and wherever your child feels more, accepted, seen, heard, and gotten, that's where they're going to be drawn. And if they don't, that's where they drift. And so yeah. they, for us as parents, our focus is, I mean, luckily Blake, my youngest, who's, who's 14, a freshman in high school, he plays baseball. So he's part of that sports group, the baseball group first, the sports group on a, on a little larger scale. And so he's now, by the way, boys and girls sports, right? So he hangs out with the girls soccer players and, you know, the boys basketball team as well as the baseball team. So so there's a there's a group that he feels very comfortable with, and we feel you know good that he's aligned with a group that's focused on achievement and goal oriented. But most parents, I think they they get concerned when their kids drift, and their drift is probably more related to the idea that they're they're not feeling a sense of belonging to any to yeah. any particular group, and then they will bounce like a pinball and try to figure it out. And for our children with special needs, it's really where we need to be able to spend a lot of time. Hopefully, get some support on campus to make sure that our child feels that they belong to some group. Last thing I'll say, Sean, I promise, and then you can, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. let you talk. Mm -hmm. But for Jordan, being part of a special needs community on campus was, she was, she resisted it more than she accepted it. She didn't want to be part, because she knew that she didn't have, you know, severely complex issues. She knew that she had some issues and then she had, and she had some success at a mainstream level as well. And so, she felt like she didn't want to be, you know, labeled, if you will, or have right. an aid because the aid provided some some sort of stigma around that. And so she didn't want to feel she because she didn't want to be made fun of by those people that she had become friends with. She didn't want to have the stigma. She was aware enough to know that it meant something, but she couldn't articulate what it meant. It didn't feel comfortable to her. So right. for parents who were dealing with kids in high school, the key is to pay attention to what's the group of children that you know that your child feels drawn to and feels a part of and it's possible that they're, they're fulfilling some need that your child has that you know has them feel accepted seen gotten and heard you know yeah, yeah. To, to, to bring that to, to conversation gabby played soccer as well in high school and but she had a bunch of girlfriends that she knew from sixth through 12th grade that they all hung out together. They all did stuff together. They decorate each other's lockers on birthdays. It's a very social group. And that was an easy group for her to drift and, and, and hang with all through her, her high school, eight, her high school years. And in college, she had another group of 12 girls that she hung out with. They end up being roommates later on and they are still incredibly close. Now that they've graduated college, they started and graduated college together. So Gabby was really part of a, focus on being part of a social group that that accepted her for who she mm -hmm. her, excuse me for who she was and her, her her generosity so again parents need to we need to think about how we pay attention to our kids social you know their their social vibe and 
and how they're feeling as they go through this. Yeah. And you know what's what, what's true about that is that you know um, sometimes depending on what the diagnosis is, how severe it is, and what the challenges are, you get so caught up in you know we like to celebrate all victories, big and small. Sometimes you can get so focused on the small victories that you don't even stop and acknowledge the potential for the big ones that might be left out. So for us, on a social level. Uh, the biggest challenge was to begin with the most tangible salient thing was meltdowns, especially at a time when, you know, in Elijah's life where we couldn't say, this is probably going to happen. Meaning like right now, if he's upset about something, um, and he's getting upset easily, we can, we can point to, he hasn't eaten. Um, he's, he didn't get much sleep. But there was a certain time in life where you might not necessarily know why. For the first couple of years of his life, I was used to driving a car like this. For those that are actually looking, my hand in front on the steering wheel, on the other hand, back behind me in the baby seat with him holding my finger with his hand because he's that small and he's a yeah. baby because he'd start screaming and I would have no idea why. And I just want to comfort him driving and I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. And I'm like, why is he crying like that? And sometimes it'd be like he was in pain. And for the first couple of years of his life, you know, anytime that he cried, I cried and it wouldn't matter why. Um, I just couldn't stand to see him, you know, upset. And, you know, Laura went from the first couple of years just thinking that that was just so sweet and vulnerable and sensitive to, oh my gosh, get a grip. You know, <laughs> so because I was just like I couldn't figure out what it was, um, and then when he's generally happy, you kind of, all right, you're just, you know, you're you're cool with that, and you don't even think for a while. You want to get th- so the other thing that would happen is when we go to school, I drop him off at school, and the school and the the district and everything they were so accommodating, and you know, in uh, pre K and kindergarten, I drop him off, and they allow me to go to the classroom with him and gradually, you know, I'd leave the classroom. Eventually Um, we went from, I'd leave me when he wasn't looking to telling him bye to shortening it where I'm, you know, walking him to the class, then just dropping him at the gate to eventually get to the point where you could drop him off the way a normal kid did. And I don't remember, excuse me. So when we look back on years and stuff, I don't remember how long it took to get to the point where we drop him off normally, but just before getting to that point, you know, what would happen is I drop him off at the gate. I'd leave and we'd gotten to the point where, okay, we're cutting it off. I'm not going to the classroom anymore. I'm leaving here at the gate because we want this to become normalcy. But I'd leave at the gate and I tell him, you know, bye, bud, give him a kiss. And I get in the car and as I'm driving off, he's screaming, wailing, crying, won't walk to the class. And I drive around the corner, you know, and, and what would happen is, especially if he sat there and really cried and just wouldn't go, you know, there's one instance where, and the way the school district works, I think like if a child is in a situation like that, you can't like, grab them and pick them up. So he's on the ground crying and I'm, I drive off and I'm hearing him and I pull over and I sit there and I wait and I wait and I must have freaked out the aide because I turn back around and I pull up to the gate. And I'm like, why are you just watching him cry like that? 
Why are you not helping him up? Why are you not comforting him? Why are you not consoling him? Like, and I'm just like, and she's like, I can't pick him up and force him to physically go to the classroom. And I'm just like, that's not right. And that was my ignorance because the truth of the matter is he should be allowed to, you know, he kind of, I, I thought any, anyway, cry it out. And, you know, it's like a muscle you flex and eventually you get stronger. So that was the first big thing socially. Then when it came to outings, because, you know, doing the work we do in financial services and having the, the freedom of, you know, creating my own schedule, I did the Costco runs and things like that. And those became things that were either enjoyable or a big challenge. And then again, especially at the time when you don't know when the meltdown is going to take place because he's not telling you that he's hungry or, or yeah. um, you put him to bed at a certain time, but if he doesn't get the right amount of sleep and the meltdown can take place. And I, for me, the benefit from it and how I knew that I grew was I'll never forget, you know, on one of my uh, Costco IDs, the picture isn't, you know, just me, the ID card, it's me and him, you know, <laughs> they got used to seeing me hilarious with him. Then it got to the point where when he was in school, like full time, when I showed up there without him, they'd be like, well, where's Elijah? Like, why are you shopping? Why are you here without him? Like you should, you need to leave and go get him. Like you shouldn't even be here without him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had a meltdown at the register and you know, this is when we, you know, we, we, we've grown exponentially as a family. So there's seven kids. I got all this, all these groceries and household items and he's losing it at the register. And I would ordinarily kind of, the louder he'd get, the more I kind of look around and like, all right, it's okay. You know, you know, relax. And I'm thinking, I don't want anybody to stare too much at him being upset. I don't want to get too upset because I don't want to be seen as, uh, as a jerk. And I'm trying to remain under control and cool and calm and never feeling like I'm like I'm successful at it. And a lady came up to me and said, she goes, you have so much patience. And I was like, mm. who? Me? Yeah. You need to get your, your eyes checked because, but what, I, what it hit me when she said that is that I was oblivious to everyone else around you. So one of the hashtags I will post often is autism teaches. And why was one of the first lessons that it gave me, which is that I began to get a level of disconcern or disconnection about what other people thought about me. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. That's an, that's it, a powerful one. Not to mention, it's selfish. My child is in need. He's not just being a brat, you know? Right. And right. here I am, instead of thinking of him, I'm like, how does this look? How do I look? Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right. And I realized for the first time that I didn't really, I wasn't really thinking about that. So that, and then him making friends, you know, we had parents groups and things like that um where we had gatherings and get-togethers and things like things like that but he hasn't really still connected and he'll ask to go see my mom he'll ask to go see his uncle um but he doesn't have friends outside of the family where he's like i want to go see so-and-so there's none of that that's taken place so you know um that's a whole nother topic for an episode altogether which i know we'll cover but um we're at 50 minutes to as always i know i don't know how that's the happen. case yeah. Yeah. It seemed like we were oh, moving along pretty. So before we look to try to wrap up, let's touch on the, like the financial piece. And, uh, and, and I'll say real quick, you know, when I saw an opportunity to partner with an entity to provide information about how to put money to work for yourself, um, 
as opposed to the other way around, plan for your future and there's ways to grow money without losing any of the principal, all that kind of stuff. I thought, well, if families with neurotypical children need that, it's 10 times more important for families that have members with special needs. But I spent probably about a decade being in my own way. I still concerned, despite the lesson, about what other people might think or feel about sharing information, tools, and concepts that would help them. I got over that eventually. And, you know, being in the state of California, how we were affected by the diagnosis from a financial standpoint has not been as much as it might be other places because we have access to so many fantastic services here. Um, but what I've learned from it though, is the value in having your own plan because the services that you have access to that are great are services that are, you know, mandated by the government. So those things could change at any given point in time and you don't have any right. control over any of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm putting something in place so that you, you know, so that you're not dependent on, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, again, folks in traditional families think that they're going to rely on a 401k for their retirement because that's what everybody does. And that's what's been given to them. That's what they do. And they think that that's, but they don't really understand the limitations of a 401k. They don't understand the tax ramifications. They don't understand, you know, how, it impacts your social security down the road. Like there's a bunch of things that people don't understand. Like any government program, you're looking at it, and you're like, well, I don't even know, you know, if you ask somebody in detail, like, can, do you really know what this thing is invested in, which, where your money is, how it's going to grow, what you're going to do, how, how, how much you're going to have when you, when you retire, et cetera. Most people don't have any idea. So having a plan in place for now, for the near future and for, you know, the time that you want to retire and then, you know, ultimately hand down, you know, some part of your part of your state to your children, make sure that your children are taken care of for special needs families, make sure that your child has all the resources that are available to them. You know, should you not be around, you know, who takes care of your child? So having a special needs trust in place and understanding how some of these things work, significant and significant for every family, but we've seen it, how it impacts our special needs families too. Mm -hmm. We're just talking about emotional a, and social. And now we're talking about the financial impact of having a child with special yeah. needs. It could be a big and, we, and we'll devote an entire show to, we have in the past, but we'll devote an entire show to, you know, in the future um, and yeah. break down the many different ways in which those effects take place. I had a conversation with um, a parent that I sat with the other day who had, well, two of them. One was looking at how the, what she receives for IHSS in the last year in home mm. uh, services has yeah. actually increased. And huh. then I had a conversation with another one um, that was looking at um, because the pa pandemic. Looking, you think that I don't know, but and I, I had another parent that I was sitting talking with, and she's looking at working with me from an income uh, opportunity um, standpoint because we're able to help her with services and you know some estate yeah. planning and uh, income protection and things like that. But the one thing she was saying is that you know just like you could have the income change and it's dictated or determined by the government. It could also be dictated in the opposite direction where not only is it less, but then the existence of the program altogether, meaning that without a plan of your own put in place, you're still at the whim of a system or somebody outside of yourself. So just as we would not advise someone to bank on life insurance through an employer, which you can't take with you once you leave the employer nine times out of 10. By the same token, if you're receiving benefits, whether it's SSI or IHSS, whatever the case might be, as a result of a disability or a diagnosis, those are things that are still dictated by the entity who's providing it to you, which is the government. So it becomes 
twice as important and incumbent upon you to make sure that there's a plan of your own in place, which is, again, the great work that uh, that you and I do. And I feel like we're just getting started at that. But speaking of being st- of getting started versus ending, we are at the 55 minute mark. <laughs> yes, yes. We have pet names for each other of how, how long we can actually go and ramble. Um, uh, but by the way, now we're not rambling, you know, just, you know, to, to, as, as we're wandering nomads, but we really talk about things that we, we know are important to, to us and to other, to other folks too. So we, I, I think the biggest thing, and, and as I always end, end the show talking about empathy and love, that's where Sean and I come from. We, you know, we, we know that the work that we're doing, that, 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 that just in conversation with each other, it's valuable because it, it furthers our own journey. And we know that it has that kind of impact for others because because we're empathetic folks and we and we know it just for everybody who's listening or watching, you know, our, we always come from the place of love. We want to make sure that people have access to information and just engage in conversation. We have a lot of folks who who watch our show regularly, who contribute regularly. We greatly, greatly appreciate Sean Hall in, in Hawaii, who keeps us on track and, you know, even though that's hard to do. Um, reminds us of, of, you know, what it means to be, uh, you know, to be a partner in, you know, in a conversation. And so we love John Hall dearly. And, and um, uh, just for everybody to know that you never know what somebody else is going through. So be empathetic. Right now, we need a lot more empathy in the world. And then whatever you're doing or seeing, you know, if you look through the world, you know, at the world through the lens of love, the world just becomes a better place. And we all need that right now whether you're here at home in the United States or in the Ukraine or Poland or Europe or wherever, you know, the, or the Middle East, there's been some, some, some challenging things going on in the Middle East this week as well. So a lot of stuff's happening in the world, you know, have, be a little more empathetic and, and, and share love wherever you can. And we're all one big family. We want to continue doing that. And on that note, Sean, I'll leave it to you to, to wrap us up and out. Most definitely. Uh, I'm again thankful for this platform and opportunity to um, to uh, do what we do and just have an enjoyable conversation and talk about some of the things that may be uncomfortable to talk about at times and add value, dare to add value to other people. Uh, I want to thank uh, the women in my life without whom I could not be, uh, literally, figuratively, and more, which is uh, my amazing mom, uh, uh, Janet, and my uh, wife, Laura. And I want to encourage everybody again to make sure that we get increase our curiosity. Let's raise our consciousness. Get more curious about what it's like to be in other people's shoes. Remember, you can be born anytime, any place. And literally anytime, meaning anytime in history, right? Which has more bearing for some than others, depending on your nationality. Um, yeah. And any place on this planet. If you happen to be born in a, in, in a, in a place or and live in a place where you have some level of freedom or the definition of freedom is one that still allows you to pursue your goals and dreams and and have nothing in your way but the space in between your ears give thanks for that and um, and consider those that don't have that and remember that we all have and need the same thing special needs or not which is to be seen heard and know that you matter and know that uh, that you are loved and with that said uh thank everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time. And uh, we love you. We love you. Thanks, everybody.